For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Vikings, come out and play. Cousins throws, passes. Now listen to the Believe in Vikings podcast with B-Mac and Baker. Welcome to Believe in Vikings with B-Mac and Baker. I am your host, Dustin Baker, and I am here with Super Bowl champion and former Minnesota Viking, Brian McKinney. What up, big man? What up, Dustin? Hello, everybody out there. I got a quick question for you, Brent. So we're going to spend this whole hour talking all things Vikings like we normally do. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask, so presumably you watched some of the games this week that weren't the Vikings game. Was there anything at all, any game, any player, any anything at all that jumped out at you that was a non-Vikings related thing about the football this week? Yeah, absolutely. Watching um, Denver Broncos, Tennessee Titans game, realizing the kicker, you have one job, and that's the kick. Hopefully you make one. <laughs> you know, I never really had a kicker with that. I had to, you know, pray that um, when he got up there that he would make it. Like, you know, Minnesota, I've always felt like we had solid kickers when I was there. And then when I got to Baltimore, Justin Tucker, he's still doing great. And he, you know, with Baltimore now. So I never had to worry about that. But <clears throat> to open up the season and, um, you know, I think he missed like four different kicking attempts. That can be a lot on the kicker, but also I'm pretty sure that they're probably looking for somebody else to kind of audition and <laughs> see who they can bring in too. Does it make any difference that he ended up hitting the game-winning chip shot? Or for a coach like Vrabel, does that still make him on edge to shop around? It still makes you on edge because that's that's big. You know, those you know extra points and field goals and all that stuff, they come back to bite you in the butt later on. So it's like you don't want someone who missed four. Like, you know, I can see you miss – one, you know, but like that's four. That's that's big. I agree. All right, let's hop into our promotion with Bet Online, and then we will get directly into the unfortunate Packers game from Week One. Mm-hmm. All right, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the Vikings are three point underdogs heading to Indianapolis this week. So if you think the purple can pull that out and cover that spread, go to betonline.ag and bet on your Minnesota Vikings. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you uh, more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always an online casino that's open and it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take full advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bryant, we lost. We went into week one in our building, which was a eerily quiet facility. Um, it was. 
and we I wouldn't say we got off to a bad start. Um, I felt like we got off to a good start. Um, I paid attention. I seen the, the Green Bay first drive. They had a 13-play drive to end in the field goal. We came right back, <clears throat> and we drove the ball down and scored a touchdown. So I'm like, okay, this is probably be a pretty good game. Then the very next drive, the Packers went down, and they scored a touchdown. And I just feel like it was okay with still being competitive. Um, I didn't really feel like it would, you know, turn out the way it did. I thought it would be close because, you know, the back and forth of the scoring. And at halftime, the score wasn't really, you know, too bad. I mean, at the middle of the second half, they started pulling away a little bit, but I still felt like, okay, we'll make some adjustments at halftime, come back and, you know, be ready for the second half. But uh, I feel like the halftime adjustments were probably made, you know, and, and executed probably better by the Green Bay Packers. And I have can to, I just say this? Yeah, please. I, know, I'm take <clears throat> I do feel like Aaron Rodgers was going to come out here and have a good game because he had a point to prove um, and to show that he still is, you know, an elite quarterback, things like that. So I felt like coming out, opening the game, and it's against your rivals – you want to kind of showcase and show what you can still do. Yeah, he was certainly elite in this game. Um, this was the first time anybody that w- did not play the, for the Vikings had over two touchdown passes in that building, um, excluding the Super Bowl when both uh, Foles and Brady did. So Vikings opponents, that was the first time anybody had thrown over two touchdowns against them. Um, all in all, the Vikings lost 43-34. to 34. There were a few points where it didn't quite feel that close, but then mm-hmm. the Vikings battled back, and the offense, when it was actually allowed to be on the field, and we'll get into this later uh, on the time of possession, the offense looked pretty good, which was encouraging. So that is one of my segues. Uh, Bryant, you have an extensive offensive line history, and part of the gig that we're doing here is to use that brain of yours. A lot of the knee-jerk reaction was the same, same old offensive line that sucked. Um, I didn't think that it was too bad. There were some spots that were iffy. Um, it didn't seem that Pat Elfline had that great of a game. Um, but overall, I would probably... And you're going to have a better knowledge base than me. I would give that offensive line about a B minus, or is that way too generous? I don't think it was too bad. I don't think I feel like the offense, like you say, there were spot, there were times, there were areas where things could have been picked up. You know what I mean? Um, but I don't think they were too bad for an offensive line who this is their first time, you know, kind of being all together as a unit, and they still need time to kind of gel, but. I don't think they did too bad. And you got to look at it at the end of the day, the offense did put up 30-something points. So as an offensive unit, if us putting up over 30 points, I don't really look at it as that bad of a day for an offense. It's <laughs> like, I need the defense to stop them from scoring. Yeah, I on that note, um, I wouldn't say I had any arguments on Twitter over that, but it was so evident to me that the defense could not get off the field and – when it actually did, the offense, although some of it was in prevent defense, the offense was successful. But I, I, I've, I've watched every single game that Mike Zimmer has coached for the Vikings, and that defense that we saw Sunday was not the norm for him. Um, so when you're getting absolutely dominated in time of possession, right. little, little context there, the Vikings haven't had the ball for that few of minutes in a game since 1977. Wow. So. Yeah, 40 years worth of games, and that was the shortest time that they possessed the ball. So I, there were some folks, and 
I mean, perf- I'm, I encourage the healthy debate. Some folks that said, hey, the offense didn't do its job. Cousins threw the terrible pick. Um, then the safety was a you know horrendous play call. And all of that stinks, but there are going to be miscues in a football game. It just seemed to me that the pervasive underlying problem was the defense couldn't get off the field on third down. And far, uh, not far. Rogers just had could do whatever he would like. So, so you don't see the offense as that. not as bad as people are trying to make it seem. Like the the offense definitely has room to improve. The offensive line has room to improve, but not as bad. I feel like still as an offense, when you put up over thirty points, you're still being productive as an offense. You know what I'm saying? Now, what I will say is going back to like even Green Bay's first drive. I did notice that they were having long drives. I didn't know the, the time of possession. Because I told you, their first drive was 13 plays. In football, 13 plays is a long time to be on the field. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you open up with 13 plays, and then you're wearing a defense down. You know, defense, defense alignment, they have their little rotation. Once you get to the 50 yard or better, whatever, but you're wearing them down. Like, that's constantly wearing down. Do you remember defense alignment have to rush the pass, to try to get to the pass. After that, run to the ball. That's a lot of wear and tear on the defense. You always want to get your defense. Third and long defense definitely should try to get off the field. But when you're on it for a very long time and then you're not allowing the other team's offense to get time to wear down the opponent's defense, it does make the game a little, like, you know, kind of lopsided. So I can understand the score because the time possession, they were outnumbered on that. And it was done in an unholy fashion comparatively. I will give a little... Little trick uh, to some of uh, the Viking fan Viking fan listeners out, listeners out there. Excuse me. Um, when you're watching a Viking game, especially in the first quarter, quarter and a half, you can tell there are certain things that you can tell about this version of the Vikings under Mike Zimmer. And the, the big one is time of possession. Um, if that starts to get skewed in the in the wrong direction, there is a very good chance the Vikings aren't going to win that game. Now, normally they're pretty good about the time of possession. Another thing that the Vikings do. Uh, well, is scoring first when they get points on the board, they t- they tend to win. Um, and then obvious when they win the turnover battle and that kind of stuff. And when they get their run game going, that is Vikings football, whether you like it or not. I know. Um, I mean, we are enamored with uh, the history of Randy Moss and Chris Carter, but the way that Minnesota Vikings football is and has been since 2014 is to run the ball, play defense, make a few big plays on uh, you know through the air with cousins or whatnot, but most of the time, um, it's a defensive brand of football. Now, with that said, uh, we talked a few moments ago about Rodgers just chewing up the Vikings' defense. Um, from your take, you said that Rodgers had something to prove, whether or not that was Jordan Love being selected, shockingly, on draft mm-hmm. night. So he's got somebody you know right behind him, even though Love hasn't looked that great in you know training camp. Um, but do you think this is a revival of Rodgers, or is this just a darn good quarterback having a really damn good game? It could be a combination of both. It could be a quarterback that had a good game that's also trying to revive himself because sometimes it takes a spark like them drafting another first pick. You know what I mean? Quarterback, that's your position. That should, so you can see in time that's who they want to potentially replace you. So that could be some form of motivation too, like, okay, let me get together. Um this past Sunday, it looks like it did work. He did manage the clock well. He managed his offense well. Um, like you said, he dominated time of possession. Um, so I feel like he did an overall pretty good job. I got to ask you, the uh, Greg Jennings, and I can't remember the other announcer. Um, maybe it was Chris Spielman. I can't remember who the other announcer was. But they 
about five different times talked about the cadence of Aaron Rodgers' snap count in that now, indefinitely, we don't have to worry about noise. Um, so where normally that would be an advantage for the Vikings, Rodgers had his will with the cadence of his voice, and I believe he got a Denbo to jump off once or twice. So from your perspective as a left tackle, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you won't even know because you never really played a game with no people, but what is it about a guy as masterful as Rodgers with his um, pre-snap stuff, what is it that he can draw well, off, you know, when it's... I have Brett Favre, so maybe that's maybe the closest thing. Yeah. Um, he probably studied under Brett. And Brett can make people jump off sides by... the People get used to a certain rhythm in the cadence, so Brett will do some things and do a hard, too. So instead of sometimes it might be like, hut, the original hut might be a hard, and they feel like it's, it's going to be on one, but then he'll say, hut, hut, like, you know what I mean? And a hard, too, so... That can throw people off once they get in a rhythm of which they think they're in sync with the quarterback's cadence. So playing playing with your cadence that way um, for an offensive lineman, being able to hear is you just know when to get off the ball. Like being on the road, like Green Bay's offensive line didn't have to worry about being late on the snap counts or anything like that. And defensive defensive line and getting a jump on the ball because they could hear perfectly fine. Yeah. So to me, I really look at it as that is a – like everybody played a straight up football game with no disadvantages um, for the most part because you didn't have to worry about being away and having crowd noises and being distracted and not being able to hear and not being able to communicate. All those things normally take place for a team that's on the road, but all these teams now don't have to worry about crowd noise. So they can communicate fine. They can get off the snap count well and everything. So, that's all fine and dandy, and it sucks because our, our building is so ruckus and so notorious for that advantage. I'm under the impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't that mean when we travel to these other places and it starts this weekend with Indianapolis that we shouldn't have to fear that all of a sudden the Colts are going to have home field advantage, right? I mean, unless I miss Right. It. It's basically even playing field at this point because nobody has any fans, so... Being on the road, you shouldn't even have to fear. Like, you know, we used to play with crowd noise when we had away games. Teams would, like, put in crowd noise just when we go on offense at practice so we get used to not being able to hear or speaking loud or communicate. These couple weeks, these people don't have to worry about that. They just go out there, and they can really hone in on, you know, getting off on the snap count. And, I, you know, I love playing at home because I can hear. You know what I mean? So I can get off the snap count. On the road, and you can get a little nervous. And then sometimes you have to go silent count or sometimes you have to really like use your peripheral and keep your eye on the ball to try to get off. So that's kind of like a little nerve wracking at times. But right now everybody's playing just head on head like football. And it's basically, there's no excuses. It's either you're not at this point. Like you don't have, you can't blame a crowd. You can't blame anything else. Yeah. It's whoever executes better. Right. It's basically all about execution. On, on this point of empty stadiums um, for rookies, um, is it your opinion that this is good or bad for rookies? You know, the only ones I care about are the ones on our team. Um, <laughs> so is it good, bad, weird? Or what, what difference does it make if there's no fans for a rookie NFL player that we hope for a rookie is for a rookie? I feel like it just all depends on the individual. You know, some people may live for the fans and the crowd noise and some people may be able to focus better. So it just really just depends on the rookie. So maybe some rookies, are able to just hone in and focus better without any, you know, crowd noise. And some are able, so, and some, it may not be lifting him up as much as it could. Okay. My next thing is, I actually have two more 
things where I got to really pick your brain. And mm. so to the listeners out there, Bryant and I don't rehearse this in any way, shape or form. So when, Not I, at all. when I ask him these questions, um, they're kind of shooting from the hip. So if I happen to stump him, uh, don't take it personally. On the safety of Kirk Cousins, what the hell happened? Um, somebody missed the block. That's what that's what we're thinking, uh, but it seems like okay. So the folks were pissed about the play call because it was a slow developing play deep in your end it zone. It was deep. That it, it really was back there. Like, why would we call this? Um, it's too yeah. It was too much. And then where yeah, that I, I think the play calling was probably like part of the issue. Even though they expect everybody to execute, but I don't know if I would have went with that kind of play. Okay. Yeah, and it was. If you go back and look at whether it's the the game film or you know just read a summary, that turned out to be the turning point of the game. There were a couple glimpses of the Vikings being able to get back into it, but when it was all said and done, and you know Monday morning quarterbacking, that was the moment where it was turned out Momentum that changed. Yes, I mean mm-hmm. it. it at the moment, it sucked, but it really felt like they could get back on track, but they never really did, although they did try to make it interesting. Um, the other specific play I wanted to ask you about was the fourth and three uh, when the Vikings went for it. Um, Zimmer, uh, Coach Zimmer is getting more inclined to go for these fourth and short situations. He must be listening to analytics folks, which is excellent. Um, but the play call there, um, allegedly... He had a short out or a slant to Thielen that was available to him on the other side of the field, but he chose to go for broke and he tried to hit Tajay Sharp for you know a touchdown score. So is that one of those plays where if it worked, it was absolutely brilliant, or was that weird that that was even available on that play? It would have been it would have been one of those plays if it worked. Everybody said that was brilliant, but I, sometimes you have to just go for for sure instead of some more. And I said it because just get the first down so you can live the fight another day and. And that point of the game, like, just just get the first down and just try to, you know, keep the momentum going. But right there, that killed the momentum, especially if you went for fourth and three. Just get the three yards. Yeah, that's what most of us were thinking um, at home. My uh, other – let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, so Ezra Cleveland, the uh, left tackle that we drafted in the second round from Boise State, was totally inactive, meaning, you know, he wasn't right, yeah. playing. So – should we read too much into that? No, because he could probably suit up in week four or five. So we just never know how things go. Okay. Um, right now, I just feel like by him not being active, just showed he's not ready right now for week one. Um, but he could be ready by week five or six. Okay. Is I want to say, and I, I you know I study this stuff like a like a maniac. That is an odd to me that a player drafted in the second round would be inactive for his first game but with a team that could probably use all of the talented O-linemen it could get, is it concerning at all that he was inactive? Maybe a little. I mean, because that is a high pick. Um, you just want to kind of get to the bottom of, well, why wasn't he active? You know what I mean? And what is it that you don't see that you felt like maybe he wasn't, you know, up to par to be part of the, seven or eight offensive linemen that they dress. Cause there's normally about seven or eight that dress, you know, you got a certain five and additional like two, maybe three. So um, why he didn't make that cut is a, probably a question that you probably want to dig deep into and, and figure out what's going on. 
Okay. Um, another thing is, I'm sure you had, I didn't go back and look at all of your week one history, but I'm sure you had losses in week one. Do you recall what the vibe is uh, amongst a team when you have kind of an embarrassing week one loss? Um, until your rival, it, it hurts. Um, all week long, you're just kind of like drilled about this team anyway, because that's your rival. So all week long, you have to hear about that. And I feel like in your neighborhood, everywhere, everybody cares about you beating the rival. So now you have to regroup, and I feel like they'll come out, you know, pretty strong against, you know, the Colts. Um, they don't have to worry about crowd noise, which is good. So it should be better, some better execution this week, because this week I'm pretty sure they went over a lot of the mistakes and correcting those, and, you know, people just have to do a better job. I mean, defense has to do a better job as well. It's like stopping people because you were at home. can't even say you were at home. But uh, it's just like you just got to kind of – Everything has to kind of come, come together. Why, Offense, why? to me, normally takes longer to come together because that's 12 people that have to – I mean, that's 11 people that have to kind of be on the same page at one time. But defense, 10 people can mess up and one person get interception or sack, and then boom, that's the big play. You know what I'm saying? But on the offense, you need everybody to be on the same page at one time. From what you – that's a great point. From what you saw, and this you know isn't necessarily your forte because you're an offense guy, what – what went wrong with the Vikings defense? I mean, do you think it was just no preseason or was it these youthful corners weren't up to the, I mean, we didn't have any pass rush whatsoever. I could say um, preseason probably plays a part because they didn't have any. And you have four games that prepare you for game time situations. Because some people are practice players and they'll ball that practice. Some people are actually need to be in game situations and they didn't get a chance to experience that. Um, if you're able to have a time clock like Green Bay did and kind of wear down the defense, you're going to wear down a lot of people. So defense, I can see them giving up points towards the end because you're worn out. You're you're on the field way too much. Um, and that's, that's, that's going to wear people down. Like offenses love that, to be able to stay on the field that long. And, and then at that, not only were they on the field, they were finishing out drives with field goals, touchdowns. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like they were just out there just – killing the clock, but they were actually, you know, putting up points too as they did it. So that's another thing. So that's a plus. Yes, I'm with you there too. Um, how, if you had a new bunch of guys on the your offensive line, um, whether it was when you were early in your career or, you know, new to Baltimore, how long ballpark would it take to for an offensive line to come together and kind of hit their stride? You know, it's crazy. Like, every, every time I got somewhere, I was kind of always the new one. Like, when I first got to Minnesota, I was the new guy. So, I was, was like, to in my mind, well, if I'm the weakest thing, we're good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm going to do my part and not look like the weakest link. So, when I first got to Minnesota, I was like, hey, just do your job. Just don't look, you know, don't do bad. Like, you just got to keep up with everybody else. So, I, that was a challenge for me. Um, I don't ever remember being a part of a line where it was basically, like, everybody's kind of new. But normally, offensive lines, I honestly would say, could take about three or four weeks, you know, just to get used to some things, iron some things out, get used to communicating with that guy next to you, get used to the steps they take. Just There's some things you got to get used to, how they pass that, like, and just communicating, really. Okay. So you so have an idea of what it is they're going to do, and then, so now you know how you want to set or how you want to work double teams and things like that. Okay, so three or four weeks, um, that would put us – um, in the Tennessee game or maybe the Houston game. So that makes this week, uh, we'll get to this in a little while here, This that makes the game the Colts all the more important um, because the last thing you'd want to do is have an offensive line click when you're you know 0-4. Um, 
Um, a couple other things on the Packers game, um, and this will probably be a softball to you. Was losing to the Packers different than losing to the Lions or the Steelers? I mean, did you? Because for fans, I don't fans, think I ever lost to the Lions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully there's. Sorry. No, no, no that's like... we love it. Um, but uh, so I can tell you from a fan perspective, a lifelong fan, that yes, um, and it, it, a lot of that has to do because I have to hear from it from my friends and family, uh, but. Because it's such a rivalry um, between the Packers and Vikings, does it royally suck when you lose to the Packers, or as a professional, is it you know you know just as bad as losing? To no, the- it actually it does. Um, the Packers first, and then probably Chicago second, and it does because of the emphasis that's placed on it. And I feel like a lot of people get tight around, like you know, the workplace, like far as coaches and everybody's like everything is so like, you know what I mean, and, and you can feel the energy. So you really want to go out here and then it's a big side. When you do win, it's a big side of relief. Like, oh, yeah, we did it. Like, you know what I mean? So those robbery games like that are really big deals. Um, yeah, on every level, because there's somebody you face two times a year there. And that's probably going to be somebody who is between you or them who's going to make, you know, a certain seed in the playoffs. So they're a big deal. Okay. Back to the offensive line. Um, did you see things in particular that you liked about the offensive line? Uh, well, the first drive, I feel like they did well. Yeah, they. Um, oh, yeah, that first drive looked like you know. Methodical. Right. So I feel like okay, this is going to be a good day. Um, I feel like they did some positive things. I feel like, like you said, it was little spots here and there. They they weren't like really bad. I mean, it was some pressures here and there, but it's it's week one. Okay. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's still room for, you know, correction. Like, you don't want them to be peaking at week one. So, it's like, it's still room to clean some things up. Yeah, that's an important point because uh, with these Zimmer Vikings and the folks that are obsessed with the team like I am will know that there is one game per year, especially on the defensive end, where it is complete garbage. Um, Let's see. uh, Some big ones that come to mind. Um, where the Colts game in 2016, where Andrew Luck in at the, the the Vikings Stadium, U.S. Bank, absolutely beat the crap out of them. And then there was the Bills game in 2018. Um, last year, our our there were two bad games. One of them wasn't defensive. The Bears game, where uh, Stephon Diggs went AWOL. And then, of course, the game against the 49ers. So there is always one game that leaves you hopeless. And the optimism here would be this is that game and it's out of the way. Um, So that's, I'm not going to say like for sure that that's, that's the case here because I don't know, but I can tell you verifiably that there's always one game Vikings game. And for most teams too, even how good they are, no, no matter how good they are that are true head scratchers that are like, what was that? You know, I thought these guys were good. These guys were good. They definitely had to focus on getting off the field. You cannot stay on the field that long. You will not be successful because you're going to get wearing, you're going to get wore down, and it, it's and they're going to eat the clock up. So no, that means they're running the ball well. They're, if the time they have that time position, they're running the ball well, and they make a pass when they need to make them, and therefore that's eating the clock up. And now you're not giving your offense much time to do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like every time the offense comes on the field, also offense has to pretty much score too. Like they don't have any time for error because they're running out of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. What Green Bay is running the clock up and they're scoring, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown. You know what I mean? So there's no room for error. 
Yeah, I think that point about the time of possession and wearing teams down is undervalued. Um, just from a not from your perspective, from a fan's perspective, because I think we we're enticed by the video game mentality that well they're only down to seven points. I mean they can still you know come back, but um, it's not that. But easy. imagine me keep running at you. They probably had about eighty something plays. The average amount of plays in the NFL game in North about sixty two or something. Yeah, but they probably had about eighty plays. They probably had twenty additional plays where they can keep running at these defenders. Imagine somebody my size keep running at you, running at you. You're going to wear down after a while. And person behind you is going to wear down after a while. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Because defenses aren't used to being on a field that long. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? That's uh, in a different in a different sport, and you guys will hear me frequently make basketball references because I'm more of a basketball mind than I am football. Believe it or not, is that's mm-hmm. why that's why you don't see NBA teams playing full court press like that, right? Is it, because you could be sitting at home on your couch saying, "I don't understand why they just don't pick them up," and you know, from full court, and it's because that is a kick in the ass. I mean, that takes everything out mm-hmm. of you, and I think it's easy just to you know diagnose it in your living room that I don't get why they don't you know. Don't just pick them up full court. So, yeah, there is a lot to be said about the time of possession. All right, I had a couple more things, just facts, that I want to get out of the way before we switch to the Colts um, coming game. Um, There were some low points for the Vikings. The one I mentioned earlier um, about the passing touchdowns, which, you know, wasn't that big of a deal. Somebody was bound to throw three touchdowns against the Vikings at home, and it's pretty fitting that it was Rodgers. Um, th- this was the most points allowed at U.S. Bank Stadium in its history um, outside of that Super Bowl. Um, this was the most points ever scored by a Packers and Vikings game altogether, the 77. So it was the highest scoring game in Vikings and Packers history, and that's 60 years worth. Oh, wow. Yeah, yep, it, w- it was pretty wild. And then that was the most uh, week one points that the Vikings. I feel have... like the Vikings games are always like in the twenties, maybe thirty one. Somebody might have thirty one as the highest, but it really doesn't get a high scoring game like this. Like twenty eight, twenty four. Like it's close games, but it's normally you see like twenty scores, like twenty eight, twenty four, or something. Yeah, and that and then that's a, com- a complete testament to what you just talked about, time of possession. Um, that's what, right. That's what Zimmer hangs his hat on. It's Parcells. It's Parcellsian football, and he's a disciple of Parcells. It's get out to a lead. You know, make some prolific plays on offense, and then you know for damn sure, usually, that your defense is going to take care of the rest. And that's why it's frustrating at times that we don't watch these Vikings run up the score on teams because that's not how Mike Zimmer doesn't. He doesn't play step-on-your-throat offensive football. He plays get up by two scores, and I know in my bag here I have this defense that's not going to let you back in it. So... So defensively, I hope and think that's about as bad as it can get for a Mike Zimmer-led team. Um, But another segue, the proof will be in the pudding because uh, on Sunday uh, early afternoon, the Vikings do head to Indianapolis. Um, And before I get your take on that, I want to mention that Philip Rivers, whom you presumably presumably played against, has not had luck against the Vikings in his career. He's one and three, and if you recall last year, he was awful against the Vikings. I was on one of the teams that beat him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When AP when AP had that um oh yeah yeah that big run that big whole you know he set the record. 
He set the record. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yep, yep. The single. Yeah, he, the yeah, he had 296 rushing uh, yards, three touchdowns, and that record was set in 2007, and it hasn't been broken, and hopefully it's never broken at all. Hey. Uh, so Rivers, if the Vikings want a site for sore eyes, it would be Rivers. Now, that's not saying that he sucks. It's just that um, he doesn't fare well against the Vikings, and then um, these Colts just lost to the Jaguars, and I don't know how many people gambled on that in America, but the Jaguars are supposed to be this team that is like not like necess- rebuilding, pretty much. That's what yeah. it looks like. Yeah, well, yeah, they, yeah, we talked about it last week. They got rid of, right. yeah, like four or five of their uh, keynote players, and here they are. They show up in week one, and they take down the Colts, so... The Colts are probably going to be motivated and hungry. And the other thing is that with with uh, Gardner Minshew, the, the the quarterback for the Jaguars, he went 19 for 20, and he completed 95% of his passes, and he threw three touchdowns. Um, do you know anything about Gardner Minshew? I don't. No? No, but I feel like you'll just have two teams that kind of go out here and – they will both be playing at a high level because they both are like coming off a loss. Okay. That's is uh, what we're, so the, the Colts were supposed to win that game. Uh, they didn't. And that's what I'm a little worried about is that just as we sort of feel like we're in desperation mode, right? Um, we don't care about the Colts right now, but I'm sure there's a podcast somewhere right now where they're talking about, we have to win this game. The Vikings didn't look very good, so we are more desperate than them. So they're going to be, and you know as a player, that they're going to be just as hungry, probably. They um, will. Nobody wants to be 0-2. Yeah, that's a... Somebody has to leave their 0-2. That is is very true. The only time the Vikings have ever started 0-2 and made the playoffs was 2008, and that was when uh, Tarveris Jackson was your quarterback. Um, You guys started 0-2 and ultimately t- turned it around and that's when you went to the playoffs to play Philadelphia. I don't I don't know if you Okay, yeah. Remember that season. But yeah, you guys started off 0 and 2. I mean, we shouldn't even have, be talking about this yet. This is a conversation that we hopefully don't have to have next week. Right. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to get down 0 and 2 because then um the prognosis for getting back on track dwindles. Um my point on Minshew is that if he can do that to the Colts secondary um, there's no reason that Kirk Cousins couldn't, can't have a field day. Uh, Minshew only threw for 173 yards, um, so he was pretty darn efficient. Um, but Cousins should have his way with this Colts secondary. Um, that's where Xavier Rhodes went. Um, by all accounts, I saw he didn't have a very good game in his first uh, his, his Colts debut. Um, do you have any memorable Indianapolis Colts stories from your playing days? My rival was there, so my rival from college. <laughs> oh, really? Was the Indianapolis Colts, the White Frames. So every time I went there, it was like, okay, it's time to battle. Because, like, it was like, it's been competitive between me and him since college. Since he went to Syracuse, I went to the University of Miami. And then every time we faced each other, it was just that battle because in college, I got the best of him. He always wanted to get the best back of me. And then it ended pretty much. Our last battle was playoffs um when i was with the ravens against the colts and um we first 
playoff game was against them, and, you know, I had to battle him and won that battle, and we won the game. So it was like an ongoing battle. So that's like my rival. I feel like some people have rivals with certain people. Sure. He's been my rival since college. So he was it a you know in the in basketball now there's so many friendly rivalries. Was this a guy that you were buddies with, or is this guy you flat out didn't we, like? No, me and him became cool off the field. Like you know later on, you know in college I didn't really know him, but we ended up you know once we were in the league, being to a lot of the same places. But at a war, I remember at a war show in college. He sat like the row across from me. They showed like a highlight of me like pancaking him, and he was like, "Oh god!" I heard him say like, "Oh gosh!" And I was like, "Oh, I want to look." So I already knew like when it was time to play against me, he was really gonna try to show out. I used to watch him go against like Jonathan Ogden and, and do really well. And I'm like, "Oh gosh!" Like you know what I mean? He was he had to spin moving college, but I feel like he had enhanced it even more. So just going there, I always just knew like. I got to kind of have my A game. It's super loud in there. They don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, this week. Um, and just that was just that was just always my rival in college. I didn't have to play him too much in the league. Not out of my 12 years, I didn't play him that often. But Yeah, that's what I, I was going to ask. I, was, I, uh, I don't have the matchups in front of me. Um, but you probably only had to see him three times, maybe? It might have been, yeah, like two or three times. Well, one time in a preseason, right? And he could tell in my eyes, you know, it's preseason. I'm like, let's go. And he's like, calm down, it's preseason. Like, you know what I mean? He had to tell me, like, it's preseason. Like, yeah, we're not, let's not try to get injured out here trying to go on hard preseason. Like, you know what I mean? Because he could just tell, like, where my mind was because I just automatically know with him, it's like, you're not going to embarrass me. So let's, uh, let's, it's game time, you know? Yeah. So if he was, if he happened to be, on, in, here on the phone with us or something? Would he tell you that he got the best no. deal? <laughs> no, it was a, it was, he was <laughs> even or something like that. He's not gonna say he got the best of me. <laughs> oh, okay, well I don't know. Sometimes uh, sometimes folks embellish things, and I I was wondering if uh, you know if he had maybe had a different side of events or anything. So yeah, you guys took them on in the wild card game of 2012, and I for one did not. Well, that game, I don't remember who I predicted to win, but I, in no way, shape, or form did I think the Baltimore Ravens were going to win the Super Bowl that year. Um, right, because we weren't you guys as played good. Um, that year, the year before we were good, we went like 12-4 and four, and then went to the um, AFC Championship. And then the following year, we weren't – the record wasn't as good. No, it, it – uh, Joe Flacco is a is a good quarterback, but nobody foresaw that he was going to catch fire and like then he did. You and had he, one and two seeds where number one seed who we had to go against was the Denver Broncos out in Denver. Number two seed in the AFC Championship was New England again. So yeah. it, was, it was earned. Yeah, you had to knock off one and two. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then yeah, we played no, every game. We were like the the lowest seed. No, we yeah, I want lower. to. We must with a second, fifth we were, Yeah, maybe fifth because I know Indianapolis came to us. So yeah, but after that yeah, game, no. we were like the lower ones. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I recall that. What about uh, Rivers? Do you have any recollection of Rivers? Whether Rivers, whether it's a story or I just know. Uh, I have a know. story. I actually okay. <laughs> so after Baltimore, um, my I was done with Baltimore after the Super Bowl and. I went and took a trip to Miami Dolphins. They called me in to want me to come to Miami. And then San Diego flew me out of San Diego. And while I was there, I was going on tour. And Philip was like, they told me you were here. I pulled up and I said, I'm going to walk him around myself and show him around campus. And I mean, not campus, around the facility. 
and really tried to get really tried to get me to go there. And I was like, he was really nice. Like I thought it must have, after the fact that I, I should have went there because he was actually really cool. And I feel like he would probably try to help take care of me because I it seemed like everywhere I went, they tried to give me like a million reps, like I'm in my third or fourth year. And it's like at this point it's year twelve. I kind of know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um but uh definitely like in my mind was like I should have probably went to San Diego, you know what I mean? But I just kind of stayed in that comfort zone and I ended up going back to the Ravens. And then from the Ravens, I got I got traded midway to to the Dolphins. Ended up having a torn meniscus and not knowing it. And I kept saying my knees bother me and then got traded to the Dolphins. Okay. Well, that's pretty sweet of of Rivers. Um, I've always... It was nice of him. Yeah, I've always respected him. Um, they say he's a trash talker, though. I would have really enjoyed that. I never yeah. Yeah, no, you can you can get that vibe. I mean, he's sometimes on the field he appears to be like a sourpuss, like he's always mad about something. But <laughs> normally, normally he has the the play to back it up. The thing that's always perplexed me about him is his his mechanics sometimes are just goofy. Like he's side arming mm-hmm. and he does stuff that I think that a high school quarterback coach would discourage. But it must have been one of those things that they just said, hey, if it works, just keep doing it. Because if you were to build a quarterback, um, I don't think that he would have a lot of the throwing motion that Rivers would have. But to an extent for the man, it's worked for 18 years, 18 seasons. It has. And um, he's found a way to make it work. And he, 18 seasons, he's been around for a minute. Yeah. So he's still here. (laughs) Another thing about him, a, I guess, unfortunate accolade is he's probably one of the, if not the best quarterback to never reach a Super Bowl. Um, they have had years where they looked damn good, but obviously didn't quite make it to the big dance. But if he in, indeed doesn't make it to a Super Bowl, he definitely will be a top two or top three. Maybe Dan Fouts, who played for the Chargers forever, will be up there too. He's, he's one of the best quarterbacks to not appear in a Super Bowl. Wow, I mean, that has to be tough, too, like to play all those years. I mean, you're in your 18th season and haven't made one appearance yet. Um, But you have the New England Patriots who keep making it there, so it's like they're the ones who keep knocking, you know, everybody off for the most part. And then you had a few sprinkles with, like, the Colts. I mean, with, yeah, well, the Colts, the Ravens, and the Broncos. But, uh, yeah, so pretty much the... New England Patriots kind of ran that for a minute. Yeah, they they ruined everybody's hopes. Um, so on the Colts, some more analysis, if you will. Um, the best part of their team is probably their offensive line. Um, they have Quentin Nelson. Uh, let's see who else do we have here. Um, uh, Ryan Kelly at center, um, Braden Smith at right tackle, and Anthony Costanzo at left tackle. So unfortunately for a team that's looking to bounce back and get some semblance of a pass rush, the Colts probably aren't the best team to do that against. Now in a normal situation, like, so, you know, as early as last year, the Vikings can usually get pressure on no matter who, but Daniil Hunter is supposed to miss at least two more games. Yannick Ngankwe was either hampered and, Therefore, didn't play very well, but he didn't put any pressure. Nobody put any pressure on um, Rodgers last week. So they, if they want to flip the script this week, they're going to do it against a pretty good offensive line. Have you watched any of Quentin Nelson? I haven't. 
No, oh, he's uh, he is a dominant um, guard, and he's he's about to get a big payday as well. Uh, the other part of their team that is pretty solid is their linebacking core. They've got Darius Leonard. Um, he is in his third year. His first year was terrific. He had like 160 something tackles. Um, so their the mid part of their defense is pretty solid. Um, they've got. Uh, Justin Houston on the uh, edge and their uh, three technique, or yeah, um, is DeForest Buckner. So they're going to probably get some pressure up front. But as we talked about before, um, their cornerbacks, uh, Xavier Rhodes, he went there this offseason, and then they have uh, Rock Yasen on the other side. Um, so this, the mushy part of their defense is going to be the secondary. Um, that bodes well for a team that played pretty well, uh, the Vikings, in throwing the football. Um, so maybe Thielen will be able to um, get going there. Um, do you have any keys to the Colts game that, uh, off the top of your head that you can share? Actually, I don't. I was going to ask you, what do you think the Vikings need to do to win this game to be successful against the Colts? Oh, yeah, I, I have all t- sorts of things floating around in my head. So the first and foremost is to, we already talked about it, was to get off the field on defense. And I, 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 don't, Absolutely. I don't need to preach that usually because the Vikings do an admirable, admirable job doing that. Uh, so I would say uh, they need to be the usual Vikings where the defense is pretty uh, staunch. Um, Another trademark of Viking football under Zimmer is uh, getting Dalvin Cook going early and often. That way we can dictate the tempo that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then minimizing turnovers. Any coach, any football fan in the world will tell you that. Uh, But it just needs to feel fundamentally different than last week. Um, We... We do have the offensive tools to play catch up, you know, if it turns out the Colts uh, get up early, uh, but it cannot be that same just utter domination in terms of time of possession. So, so that's stuff that I'm giving. I know to you listeners, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious. Um, I would say a, a, a Kirk Cousins, that's his usual self. So 250 yards, two touchdowns. What about us applying pressures, trying to find some ways to get some pressure onto the quarterback too? Yeah, that, well, I just figured that's going to happen. Maybe that's a too big of an assumption uh, because Yannick Ngakwe can only be slowed uh, for so long, and Afadia Dembo is probably going to have revenge on his mind too because he didn't make much of an impact. Uh, I fear that the offensive line for the Colts will not let there be a heyday of pressure, um, but you could get creative. I I think they tried to uh, send Anthony Barr, uh, about six or seven times on Sunday. Now, none of this really worked because Rodgers was basically untouched. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's going to start up front defensively for the Vikings to so get some pressure. Um, I just I feel like that's going to happen because that's Zimmer football. So maybe I should be worried about it. But as of now, I just kind of operate under the pretense that, yep, they're going to get back to normal and, and put some pressure on Rivers. And they've always put pressure on Rivers, so... Right. On uh, the topic of Kirk Cousins, while we, we have some time, this was actually on my uh, list of topics that I wanted to talk about in our very first episode. Uh, because he spent so much time in Washington with a franchise that wasn't that great, um, he is perceived to be, by some folks, to be a mediocre quarterback, um, almost like your buddy Tannehill was up until now when he's finally, you know, broke out and visit AFC championship. Mm-hmm. 
So do you think it is fair to hold a quarterback accountable who is on a franchise that sucks? Um, because you got to look. I mean, the quarterback. The quarterback is going to take the blame for it being bad, and is going to get the praise for it being good. I just feel like that comes with the territory of being a quarterback. However, um, if you're on a team and the defense isn't doing well, like you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really not on the quarterback. Um, but that's just part of the territory. So I feel like he came here and proved himself. Because I remember when I came up for the Super Bowl or something, people were talking like they weren't really too pleased with him. But I was like, he's making the playoffs. He's like he's getting deep into the playoffs. So like the team isn't really that bad, but they just still weren't satisfied with him. I could never understand why. And is, is this because of him coming from Washington and how they kind of portrayed him, you know, coming from Washington? Yeah, he's got a couple knocks against him. So on that team. Uh, All right, so my question is this. Mm-hmm. Because you had a couple knocks against you in the past, are you ever able to grow out of that? Well, he can, but it will probably take at least an NFC championship appearance and a respectable showing there. Um, I mean, this is, this is, I guess I'm nitpicking. This is not the the vast majority of people, um, but there are people that think because cousins was, you know, basically a 500 quarterback with the Redskins that therefore he can't carry a team by himself. And folks think that, you know, people like Patrick Mahomes, you know, just grow on trees and, uh, I find it frustrating because I think that with Cousins here in Minnesota, it's the first time in a very long time that we've had stability at the quarterback position. And mm-hmm. I think I think it's foolish to try to come up with a plan you, to find somebody different. Do you know how many different quarterbacks that I played with when I was in Minnesota? Uh, no, but I'm going to guess that, let's see, 2003 through t- probably seven. Oh, yeah. Are, I don't have an exact number, but I mean, we could name them off if you wanted to. <laughs> sure, let's go for it. All right, so we're going to start uh, Culpepper. Yep. And then Brad Johnson. Yep. We're really testing my medal here. Tarveris Jackson. Yep. And then we have the year where they played hot potato with it. So Brooks Bollinger. Yep. Gus Ferrat. Yep. Um, I might be missing. Who am I missing? There's uh what's his name? Sage Rosenfels. Yeah, that's yep. what I was at. Yeah. Yep. And then Favre. Correct. And then that's seven. Yep. And then Ponder. Yeah. Yeah, you were there for the very beginning. And McNabb. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> I, that's when I left when McNabb got there. That's when I left. Yeah, so yeah, and that right there. To us. That's just the way it is. We go from quarterback to quarterback, hoping one of them sticks, like Favre did that one year, and we're going to catch lightning in a bottle and win the Super Bowl. But most franchises, outside of maybe the Bears and the Browns, they find the guy, like the like the Saints did with Breeze. They plucked him from, I can't remember if it was free agency or a trade from San Diego, and they stuck with him. And he's been there for, my goodness, 16 years. Now, I, I don't know if Cousins will be here for that long, but... I hope as a player you can attest to the fact that there are situations where a quarterback needs to grow within a system just like Breeze did, and you're not going to find Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. It's not going to be that easy. 
Um, so I, I guess what I'm asking you is from what you've seen of Kirk Cousins, whether it was in Washington or, you know, watching him as a Viking these past two seasons in one game, do you think he has what it takes to take the Vikings to a Super Bowl? I definitely do. Uh, they got pretty close uh, a couple years ago. I think he has to take, but it also is a team effort too. So it's like he can lead the team, but everybody has to do their part as well. So I just feel like we can't, like, put everything on him. Like, he's a major part of it, but everybody else still has to do their job as well. And um, that was one of the main things, like, when I went to the Super Bowl and Ray Lewis was telling everybody, once we got in the playoffs, like, do us, you know, do a favor and let's stay off social media. Let's eliminate all these distractions and let's just take one week at a time and, um, you know, focus on each game each week and, and getting to the next level and just ignore the distractions and it'll pay off. And it did pay off. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what LeBron does too. Except for this year with the bubble, it's he goes into that uh, zero dark thirty, whatever he calls it, mode where you know he gets off social media and goes into playoff mode. And in terms of you know you believing in Cousins, it sounds like, and myself believing in Cousins, I'm here to tell you that Joe Flacco wasn't that good until he got that good when you guys made that four-game run to the Super Bowl. Now, you might have a different opinion because you played with the man, but from a couch seat guy, Flacco was good, um, but he wasn't elite like he was in that four-game stretch. So conceivably, that can happen to a talented quarterback, whether it's Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, um, Eli Manning even did it twice. Mm -hmm. Um, a quarterback in the right situation and, you know, the, the pieces around him, I believe, can replicate what Flacco did in that, uh, I guess, 2013, um, early 2013 run. I definitely think that could take place. And a lot of people, I feel, don't, don't think that Flacco was that good because he wasn't probably exciting to watch. Yeah. Because it was pretty just, I'm going to throw, I'm not really showing no excitement. I'm not, like, so he's not probably as exciting when you see a quarterback like, come on, and all, you know, all that. Yeah. So it's the, I'm going to cut you off. It's the Tim Duncan effect. Um, <laughs> yeah. If Tim Duncan was a little louder, maybe got into a little bit more trouble once in a while, there's yeah. no reason that he shouldn't be in everybody's top five basketball players of all time. But right. with that flocconess, he was calm. Uh, he was polite. Um, it just seemed that because he didn't make a, big emphasis on himself he wasn't a self-promoter uh he's disqualified himself from being everybody's top five <laughs> but, i mean I, I challenge you to go back and look at the duration of duncan's career and you're like holy crap i mean this guy it's unbelievable i mean by yeah. the num by the numbers he should he should be put um in, in a level probably even ahead of shack um that's how that's how wild it is uh, the Shaq's last my favorite basketball player, so I don't know about that. Not too much on Shaq. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm a LeBron fan, so that makes me a Laker fan for the foreseeable future. Uh, so no, I love Shaq as well. Um, and of course, I'm not saying that Joe Flacco is an equivalent to uh, Tim Duncan, but in terms of that milk toast, you know, just go do your job, let right. them speak for themselves. They both kind of had that going for them. The last question that I want to get to before we get to our predictions is why do you feel in the Packer game um, that we didn't get our tight ends really involved? And do you think that will change against the Colts? So Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr., I know Irv had one catch. I think Kyle had one. But they th these two guys are supposed to be dynamic playmakers. 
in our offense. So maybe it was just because everything got off to a rotten, um, you know, first hour or so that they were just a footnote. Um, but why do you think that they really weren't, they didn't really do much at all in the Packer game? I think um, at a certain point, especially like, you know, after that second half and, and being down, um, as an offense, when you're behind, you're trying to, you know, stretch the field a lot more. Okay. So they're probably going more for the receivers because they're trying to get these big plays to kind of catch up in the score. So that's the good thing about, like, being on the road and having to leave is you can run the ball more. And they're, they were being successful, too, and they're moving the chains, so eating up the clock more. But when you're behind, you're playing catch-up, so you have to go for a bigger plays to try to, like, catch up and – get you down the field faster so you can get you another opportunity to come back and try to do it again. So okay. they probably weren't uh, – the, the Titans probably weren't, you know, stretching down, you know, far fast enough. So it was like, we'll just stick with the receivers for now. Okay. All right. Um, why don't you ever play fantasy football? That just – that dawned on me. I think because of me playing all these years, uh, you could – like, I, I don't even know. I don't even understand it. You don't like, get it. I never even asked to get it. Like I never even okay. like, inquired about so, it. It was just something I knew that fans did, but I just never. For the listeners out there, I uh, for the first time ever, I tr- I am running a twenty-team league, and yes, that's an extensive league. Most leagues are ten teams. So one of the uh, folks dropped out on me at the very like you know forty-eight hours before, and I was going to try to get Bryant to come play and i thought how cool would this be i get to tell 18 other folks that bryant mckinney is going to be in our fantasy league but ryan said i don't i don't i don't play i don't play that so i wanted to get him on air and ask uh maybe next year i can get you to do it no what you basically do is you pick um receivers quarterbacks running backs and you pick who you think is going to be best for that year and then based on how they score touchdowns and accumulate yards you get points and you've got money on the line so it's just kind of uh okay yeah, it's you, you probably get hooked on it uh, since you you know the lay of the land. All right, predictions, and then we will be back next week. I, like I said last week, I swear to God, I'm not going to pick the Vikings to win every football game. Um, and this is not quite a desperation game, but it's really getting close to it. Um, based on the Vikings' success against Rivers in the past, the Vikings haven't lost a road indoor game since 2016 on Thanksgiving Day. I'm going to take the Vikings 31-20 to over the Colts. Um, I think the defense improves, but letting up 20 points isn't great, but it's going to be a lot better than Sunday. So uh, Dustin Baker has the Vikings 31-20 over the Colts. Uh, Mr. McKinney, what about you? This game, I'm, I'm going to say the Vikings. I'll take the Vikings. Uh, 21-17. 21-17. And so you have us evening up two at one and one. Uh, yeah. I like the defense to show up and, and, and try to like hold things down. Yeah. I'm hoping that they get Justin Jefferson um, a couple more catches. Um, he got in the action a little bit towards the end mm-hmm. when, when things were getting out of hand. So... All right, so we will be back at this time next week, hopefully talking about a 1-1 one one team. If we're talking about an 0-2 team, then the conversation's going to be a little bit more uh, downtrodden. Um, but the week after this one, we host the Tennessee Titans. Uh, so when we talk to you guys again, we'll hopefully be 1-1. One and, one. and you got anything else, Bryant? Uh, nope, that's it. All right. For a good game this week, I'm actually going to go to the Dolphins Bills game, but I'm going to watch the, the Vikings play while I'm there. Oh, okay. Yeah, you gotta you gotta keep up on stuff. 
All right, you guys out there in Viking land, uh, that's all we got. So we will talk to you soon, and Skull Vikings. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.